You are listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Show, the leading word in pharmacy. You can find all of our episodes at www.pharmacypodcast.com. This is Adam Fine, President of Pember Consulting and author of the widely read website Drug Channels. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Hey, pharmacy community, it's Todd Yuri, host of the Pharmacy Podcast. And I have to say, this is one of the podcasts that I've been waiting to do for quite some time. Very excited about today's guest. We have Dr. Adam Fine, who is the author of the very well-known uh, blog, Drug Channels, which is drug, drugchannels.net. And he is the president of Prembook Consulting. How are you doing this morning, Adam? Doing great, Todd. Happy to be here and happy to be talking with you. <laughs> We're happy to have you. Um, before we get into business talk, I do want to say that it's my lifelong uh, want to see the Philadelphia Eagles play the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Super Bowl, and I'm only 40 years old, so I think it's going to happen. Everybody has a dream, Todd. <laughs> <Aim> high. <laughs> That's right. All right. And, and the reason why I mentioned that, uh, community pharmacy is because Adam happens to be also a Pennsylvanian and he's on the um, other side of Pennsylvania as I'm on the Pittsburgh side. We call it the good side. Tom. The good side. <laughs> Very good. So Adam, uh, lots of uh, readers. Your your blog has really exploded, especially over the last two to three years. Um, what do you think is happening in the industry that you're you're collecting a wide diversity of different pharmacy professionals to drug channels? Well, I think the drug channels is attracting readers from all parts of the industry, manufacturers, pharmacists, payers, the government, regulators, Wall Street analysts, etc. The government is trying to figure out what the future of pharmacy is. I think we're in the middle right now of a massive transition in the whole business of pharmacy, all the way from PBMs down to the community retail pharmacy. I think everyone is struggling to try to figure out what's next and where this industry is going to go because we're at an inflection point compared to where this industry has been historically. Yeah, I, I that's one of the questions that you're leading me right to, and that is, you know, with the changes happening, and I've been in pharmacy for only about 10 years now, um, and many of my own clients have been in for 30, 40 years, and enormous uh, differences and changes from the way that these uh, pharmacy owners are doing business, from the way that wholesalers are doing business, from the way that pharmaceutical manufacturers are even allowed to do business and compared to even uh, five, ten years ago. So what do you see happening to the traditional pharmaceutical to patient business model based on the volatility and based on the changes of our industry? Sure. Well, let me, let me lay out what I think are today's economic realities for the pharmacy industry. Uh, you know, number one, prescription growth is essentially very, very low. It's zero to one percent prescription growth compared to 10 or 15 years ago, much, much higher in the high single digits. Um, pharmacy revenue growth is very, very low, in fact, maybe even negative this year, uh, simply due to generic substitution and the slowdown in growth. Uh, you've also seen that you know, a real change over essentially the last generation or two in uh, how prescription drugs are paid for. I mean, consumers have much less skin in the game. I and mean, if you go back, uh, you know, to let's say 30 or 40 years ago, 
the vast majority of prescription drugs were paid for by the consumer out of their own pocket. But the managed care revolution of really the 1980s and 90s changed that to the point where now more than four out of five dollars spent at a retail pharmacy are coming from a third-party payer, not from the patient. And alongside this change, you've also seen a really a, a massive growth of the payer's influence over pharmacy. And these payers are often using and channeling that influence through a smaller number of larger entities being the pharmacy benefit managers. And they're looking to the pharmacy benefit managers to help them. And I'd say at the, actually at the level of the pharmacy industry, you have really a change in how consumers want to get their prescriptions. Um, you know, right now you have retail chains growing faster than any other dispensing format in the marketplace. So you have, uh, you know, very large chains uh, and really the top five pharmacies in the U.S. now, chain and retail pharmacies, chain and mail pharmacies, are now almost two-thirds of the entire prescription pharmacy revenue in the U.S. So you've had this, you know, massive changes to bring us to the point where we are now, and we're on the verge, I believe, of really dramatic changes going forward in the next three to five years. We've uh, known each other, Adam, now for about about three years. Um, we actually met in person at uh, Armada Specialty Conference a couple of years ago, and um, just to clarify for all the listeners, um, Adam and his consulting group, um, Clientel, these are brand pharmaceutical companies, um, and it's interesting how much data has been collected uh, for your consultancy, including the latest 2012-2013 economic report on retail mail and specialty pharmacies. Um, and those, of course, reports are uh, all um, accessible at the drugchannels.net uh, website. Um, Adam... My clients, uh, a lot, of, you know, the majority of them, obviously, um, uh, owners of of privately owned pharmacies. A lot of them are starting to find or wanting to find ways to get into to diversify their businesses into specialty. Um, and part of your report does touch touch on specialty pharmacies. What do you foresee happening over the next uh, three to five years uh, in the specialty market? Well, thanks for mentioning my clients, Todd, because I, I want to make a comment about that before I answer your question. Um, I think the fact that my clients are primarily manufacturers illustrates how important the entire pharmacy channel is to manufacturers. Um, one of the reasons they hire me is to try to understand all the entities and institutions and people that sit between the manufacturer and the patient. And obviously pharmacies are a key part of that, as are pharmacy benefit managers and payers and others. But I think the, the drug channel, that commercial world, has really become a lot more important to the pharmaceutical manufacturer over the last 10 years. And that's you know, reflected in the kind of things we're talking about. Um, with regard to your question about specialty, you know, one of the things you have to, I think, pharmacy owners need to understand is the world of the future is going to look very different than the world of the past. The pharmacy industry for many, many years was relatively stable. But we're now at a point where uh, the generic boom is been going strong for a few years. It's about to end. But within two to three years, uh, we're going to have generic drugs be 85 to 90% of all prescriptions dispensed in a retail pharmacy. 
you know, so almost nine out of ten prescriptions. We have public funds and, you know, private insurance via the exchanges, which are primarily subsidized, paying for more than half of all prescription drugs. And you're going to find that specialty drugs are almost half of all pharmaceutical manufacturer sales. So we're kind of looking at a world in the next few years where you're going to have many, many very inexpensive drugs for large patient populations available readily in retail pharmacies, and then a much smaller set of drugs that are targeting much smaller patient populations with very specific therapeutic conditions uh, that are extremely expensive products for which the payers have intense interest in these products and the patients. So that's really driving, I think, a lot of the changes that we're seeing in the pharmacy industry. So I think one of the things that's happening is a need to recognize the growth of specialty and figure out how to get into specialty or retail or for independent specialty pharmacies to really play a part in that business. Um, if you want, I could talk a little about, I guess, the kind of four strategies that I've seen retail pharmacies pursuing to go after this market. Definitely, yes. Uh, I mean, if we look at, you know, the traditional retail pharmacy has really been built around a model that is for uh, traditional drugs, where the need for there is a need for patient care, but you know, let's be honest here. For many people, it's simply sufficient to show up and pick up the prescription and, and leave. You know, a relatively small number of people actually get pharmacist counseling every time they pick up a prescription. So that's very different for specialty drugs. Uh, you know, as you're aware, specialty drugs are typically for people with uh, you know, severe, often chronic conditions. Uh, the drugs themselves are extremely expensive. They may be difficult to handle. There may be cold chain issues. They may not be an ambient temperature oral solid pill. Uh, and uh, in many cases, the manufacturers are very concerned about which pharmacies can actually provide the services that these patients need, everything from the, the counseling, adherence, insurance benefit issues uh, that are very, very complicated. And so you really see kind of a few different, you see kind of, I'd say, five different strategies. Strategy number one is for independent pharmacies to focus on a few of these conditions and try to build up a geographic niche of patients with particular conditions like hepatitis C or HIV, which have specialty drug kind of treatments and be able to build up competence and expertise, to build up technology systems that enable them to play the game. And I think uh, if you go to a conference like Armada, you're going to run into dozens of these companies, companies that trace their legacy to an independent pharmacy, but are today, uh, you know, a 40 or $50 million business focused on a particular patient population that they build clinical expertise, insurance capabilities, often technology capabilities, and build relationship with manufacturers to get access to the products. Um, so that's that's one strategy. Uh, I think you see kind of maybe four other approaches that independent or in smaller pharmacies are taking to try to access this market. Uh, number one is to simply buy your way into the market. Um, there are uh, a number of uh, specialty pharmacies out there, and so you'll see them starting to be acquired by other companies. Uh, one one of the larger ones 
I'll give you an example, is uh, Kroger, which a few months ago acquired Axiom Pharmacy, which at the time was the third largest independent private specialty pharmacy. Walgreens has really built its specialty pharmacy business by acquiring five or six other specialty pharmacies. So it's possible to get into these businesses by simply acquiring um, other pharmacies. Uh, another strategy is to partner with an established specialty pharmacy so that specialty pharmacy can provide the back-end clinical services, care management, but the retail pharmacy still maintains that customer uh, relationship. Um, an example of that would be relationships that uh, the specialty pharmacy diplomat has with uh, companies like Fred's or Target or Safeway, where diplomat is handling specialty pharmacies services like prior authorization, adherence calls, copay assistance, uh, injection training. Um, but Fred's or Target or Safeway maintain the consumer relationship. So in some sense, outsourcing that piece. Um, another strategy that you're seeing is for pharmacies to actually try to build this capability in a very serious way. Um, and I'd say the regional chains are, are the ones who are most focused on this. Uh, company like Kinney or Schnucks, who've actually opened up specialty-focused pharmacies uh, as compared to trying to convert an existing pharmacy or trying to acquire one. And I'd say another strategy that that I see out there is to join one of these specialty pharmacy alliances. Um, you mentioned Armada Specialty Pharmacy Network. There's others like Community Specialty Pharmacy Network and Specialty First. And those networks are essentially trying to bring together retail community pharmacies and trying to give them the ability to contract with the manufacturers to get into limited networks and to do contracting with the payers to get into the payers' limited networks for specialty drugs. So I think there are strategies out there, but it does require doing business in a new way and implementing one of these strategies. That's interesting you say that because the networks um, are growing. Um, we mentioned, of course, Armada, and they are coming out with a fortified specialty network. And then CSPN, who you also mentioned, um, assists. Uh, they're 230-plus um, members. Um, and they're, of course, uh, going to see growth as they know, as they understand, because it's necessary. Many of the other uh, privately owned pharmacies throughout the country that want to uh, get deeper into uh, specialty. I have a client who's uh, very uh, prominent in, in their area um, of care in diabetes, and um, there's some challenges that they're experiencing. They're going to be uh, losing uh, patients based on um, some regulations that are coming out uh, hitting in July, um, and they're going to make have to make that up based on counseling and based on um, some other services, um, and that may even be uh, the nutritional side of living um, with diabetes. So, um, it, it it what what it all boils down to, Adam, is you have to continuously understand what's happening in your industry, and you have to be prepared to make changes in order to stop, survive in your business. And and that's not just pharmacy; that's any business. Yes, and, and let me build on that a little with uh, kind of what I one of the things that I hear from the pharmacists that I speak to in my research or the people who contact me from the blog. There definitely seems to be a, a subset of pharmacy owners who want to almost turn the clock back to some golden era of pharmacy 
when independent pharmacies were the dominant dispensing format, brand name drugs were the dominant products dispensed, there was no such thing as specialty, and there was very little insurance coverage. And many people seem to think that was a golden age for pharmacy. Perhaps it was. I wasn't really focusing on the business. But if we look at where we are today, with a clear eyes and a clear mind, it's very, it's very obvious that the world has changed dramatically. And the role of traditional pharmacies is very different. And it's really no one's fault. It's just the way things are. And I want to give you an example in particular of one of the things that I see out there, which is really the commoditization of pharmacy services in the mind of the consumer. Uh, and you can see this in a few ways. Uh, number one, you see that many consumers choose to shop at chain stores. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with chain stores, but it's a consumer preference. And for years, most people have had no financial incentive to shop at one pharmacy or another. Their co-payments, for the most part, have been equal. And what they've done is chosen to shop at chain drugstores. I mean, if you look at total growth in prescriptions dispensed between 2007 and 2011, five-year period, the total growth in that market was about 4%. Chain drugstores grew by 10%. Male pharmacies grew by 1%, slower than the market. So many pharmacies blame male or they blame payers or they blame someone else. The reality is consumers are often choosing to go to the format in which they may receive less service. I think the other way you see this is in the rapid adoption and acceptance of uh, preferred networks. And by preferred networks, I'm referring to networks in which the consumer can go to any pharmacy they want, but if they go to a preferred pharmacy, their co-payment or co-insurance is lower. Uh, and there was a, a really interesting survey done last year by Accent Health, and they asked, you know, if your insurance changed and it costs you a higher co-payment to keep your business with your preferred pharmacy, what is the minimum amount that would be required for you to change pharmacies? And Todd, the thing that struck me is only 15% of the people said they wouldn't switch regardless of cost. 85% said they would switch. And 8% of them would switch for less than a dollar. 24% of them would switch for one to five dollars. And the other 50% would switch for 5 to $10. So you really have a market which the consumer is saying, you know, I, I often don't see a distinction or a differentiation between these pharmacies. And that's combined with the fact that prescription growth is so low, 1% uh, or less, it creates an intensely hyper-competitive retail environment. And that's just today's reality. Uh, so I, I think that's just that's just a function of the world. And I want to make one other comment. The intense price competition that we've seen is probably only going to get worse. Uh, I think before Walmart started their $4 generic program in 2006, I honestly cannot remember a time ever when pharmacists advertised the price of a prescription as a way to attract a consumer. But today, it's common. Uh, and as we all know, generic drugs can be acquired by pharmacies for pennies a pill. 
So that leads to this downward price spiral. One of the things I talked about in the new report is what this means for the future of pharmacy. One of the things it means is that you see intense price competition even for newly launched drugs. Lipitor, which was subject to multi-source generic competition in the middle of 2012, by the fall of 2012, you know, the cash price, the average cash price, had dropped below $20. But you had pharmacies like Wegmans, which is a supermarket, was offering generic Lipitor, a Torvastatin, for zero dollars. Todd, when something is zero dollars, when the product is zero dollars, what is the value of the pharmacy service? How is the consumer supposed to acknowledge there is a value for counseling or pharmacy services when the entire prescription costs nothing? Um, and I think that's where you see the industry going in this race to the bottom to compete on price. And that's the American way. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it is the reality. And that is, I think, a, the, the notion of this commoditization of the pharmacy, the commoditization, the eyes of the consumer, judging by the way they shop, the way everyone in the United States shops, I think is a profound change and one that pharmacy owners are going to have to acknowledge and accept and realize it's not anybody's fault. It's the way things are, and you have to either adapt disappear well i i agree with you um you know there's a saying that that goes hope is not a strategy uh hope to that we go back to the golden years of of pharmacy and community pharmacy obviously is not a strategy creativity using data and innovation those are strategies and i think diversifying services bringing new services to the plate advertising better starting to look at the way that you run your companies, the way that you um, balance budgets, the way that you're buying, the way that you're managing your employees, uh, the way that you're using technology, for goodness sakes. I think there's a lot that can be done. And I think the cream is going to rise to the top, Adam. I think that the pharmacy owners who make these changes and survive, I think they're going to be here in 10 years and 20 years. I think the ones that don't want to change and don't want to pay attention to the data that you see every day, um, I, I, I don't think they're going to make it. And, and, Todd, I would even add to that, there's been this negative drumbeat about how many independent pharmacies are closing and the industry is dying. But you actually look at multiple different data sets. Uh, you'll see that for the last 12 years, the number of independent pharmacies has been almost exactly the same. It really hasn't changed at all. What you're seeing is some people are closing their business or selling their business, and others are opening up. So it's a very dynamic, churning industry. And I think it's a, it's a mistake to think of it as a dying industry. I think it's just one that's undergoing a lot of change. And I'll give you a quote that I think is one that many pharmacy owners should take to heart. It's from Thomas Edison, who said, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. <laughs> I like that one, too. <laughs> Well, very good. Um, Adam, I am pleased to have had you on the show. Um, we're very excited about um, you know, this, uh, this chapter and episode of the Pharmacy Podcast. Once again, for the listeners, um, you can reach out to um, uh, Dr. Adam Fine at drugchannels.net. That's his publication. That's uh, where his re economic reports can also be found. And um, I would very much like to have you back at some point, Adam, to, to give us basically a 
a state of the nation of, of what you see happening in the pharmacy industry. Well, thank you, Todd. I appreciate that. And I know I mentioned to your listeners, I think if you're listening to this series of podcasts, you're already ahead of the game. You're already doing something strategic to think about the future. So if you get a chance, drop by Drug Channels. Uh, I'm happy to accept emails. And as you'll see, there's a lot of comments on what I write. So I like to encourage a lot of dialogue because that's the only way any of us are going to be able to figure out what's going on. Uh, the future is inherently unpredictable. So the challenge is figure out how you're going to survive it. So right. Thanks again, Todd. And uh, I think, and as you mentioned, uh, the report, 2012-2013 economic report on retail mail and specialty pharmacies, uh, is available for download at Drug Channel Summit. Thanks again, Todd. Thank you, Adam. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. We were on with the author of Drug Channels, uh, which can be found at drugchannels.net. Dr. Adam Fine. Very excited to have had him, and we thank you for listening.